Culver moves through traffic underneath Zaire Smith, who slams it home. The punctuation mark for Texas Tech. 71-57 Red Raiders with just 90 seconds to play. 5.4 seconds left on the clock, and Chris Beard finally able to flash a smile. Purdue has to inbound it one more time. It comes into Thompson. Four seconds to go. Purdue will not take another shot. And Texas Tech makes history. For the first time ever, Red Raiders Elite Eight. Texas Tech gets to the round of eight for the first time in school history as Chris Beard in his second year leads these defensive-minded Red Raiders into a date with Villanova for the regional championship on Sunday. It's time for Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400, WDWS Champaign-Urbana. We'll get you caught up on your Illini sports news along with other area and national sports news. Here are Lauren Tate and Michael Kaiser. The NCAA tournament has reached the Elite Eight. Those highlights courtesy of Westwood One. One Big Ten team remaining after Purdue fell last night, as you just heard there, to Texas Tech. They, Texas Tech was able to dominate Purdue defensively at some levels, especially down the stretch to put that game away. And the Boilermakers had a great season, but it comes to an end. And, Lauren, you can't help but think uh, if that game would have been any different uh, if Isaac Haas was able to play. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, there's no question that their, their offense was built around him. It wasn't how many points he scored. It was the fact that you could go to him and everybody had to – very few teams could defend him one-on-one, and in which case uh, he could throw the back ball back out to Matthias, who just disappeared in the game. This was a Edwards only, and uh, they had no center offense, and they got nothing from Matthias and just killed him. Yeah, the point guard doesn't score that much in the first place. But uh, this was a, a, a limping – Purdue team that has been limping ever since Haas went out. He's critical to them. He was key. Yeah, I, I, he really was. And I mean, the, the only the only liability for Isaac Haas is if, if you got a big man who moves around a lot. But other, on the offensive end, and oh really, no, he's not a great right. He's not a great defender at all, unless it's right at the rim. And then he's I mean, it's he he alters shots, and I mean, he's such a big force. It's two hundred ninety five pounds, and uh, you just. We're hoping that maybe they'd find a way to get him in. But Matt Painter said, even if they approve the brace, if he doesn't show me anything in warm-ups today, he's not playing. I mean, he was, last week he was trying to shoot left-handed, and uh, that was, you know, I mean. It's too bad. It's yeah. One of those unfortunate things. Harms managed to get four points out of the center position. Matthias goes one for seven, and they were dead. Another strong game for Carson Edwards. He took an awful lot of shots, an awful lot of uh, strange shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, came up with his 30, but uh, Vince Edwards had 12 and 13 rebounds. But this was not the Purdue team that we saw, and it couldn't be without Haas. He's too too big a factor in what they do. Yeah, re- really important player for the, the Purdue. The same thing is true of Gonzaga when they lost Killian Tilly. Uh, here's a guy that averaged 24 points a game in the in the we- in the coast the West Coast tournament. Mm-hmm. 24 a game. Yeah, that's uh, I know he wasn't scoring that much in the tournament previously, but once he was injured. They weren't the same team, and it really hurts when you lose a guy right, right at that point in the tournament. Yeah, as happened with both Tilly and Haas. Well, and you don't have time at that point of the year to, you know, you don't have. It's not the regular season where you could figure out a new way to play without a certain guy. There's just no time for that, and players don't have time to adjust to playing without Isaac Haas or without the player from Gonzaga. You just you just got to go do it and hope it works. And and for neither one of those teams did it did not work last night and. Their seasons uh, come to a close. Purdue and Gonzaga, both seasons are over. Of course, last night uh, Purdue lost.
but uh, Gonzaga lost the other night. Uh, a couple other games, Kansas ended uh, Clemson's season 80-76 to in a game that wasn't close for most of the second half at Clemson with a late rally to get uh, close, and now got six within six late. And, Lauren, I was counting up this morning because I, d- I just thought, you know, Bill Seltzman, uh, how many Elite Eights now? Ten Elite Eights, eight of those with Kansas. Mm-hmm. Only one championship, I, I say only. I mean, that's still, I mean, if you make it to eight Elite Eights in, what is it, um, 12 or 15 years, I mean, I think, it's, I think it's 15 or 16 years he's made it to the Elite Eight eight times with Kansas. When you look back on Illinois basketball, somebody wrote a book on it right now. Mm-hmm. The key thing in the demise of Illinois basketball was letting self get away. Yeah, It was apparent at the time. It was obvious at the time that mm-hmm. Illinois could not let him go but this was uh, the circumstances were not right for Ron Gunther to retain him because he had been upset that Kruger had left on him and g- to go to Atlanta, and now himself after he had been there a few, a couple of years, three years, uh, you know, it was. I think Gunther felt like uh, there a certain amount of loyalty was required here, and uh, self wanted more money for his assistant coaches. He, wa- he he had some demands that he could make because he had the offer from Kansas, and I I think that uh, Ron Gunther, and he just at that point they just split. You were obviously here at that time. Uh, I was not. I was in college, um, and so I, you know, the dynamics better than anybody. Could have Gunk and the stuff you just mentioned just there. Could have Gun- could Gunther have convinced him to stay and turn down a job like Kansas that Bill obviously wanted? Well, the answer to that is that no, he couldn't because he wasn't of a mind to. Okay. Now, you you got to realize that. A million dollars back then, and, and that's not too many years ago, but yeah. really, I mean, there was no amount of money that would have been too much to pay Bill Self to keep him at that time. He was too valuable, but that was not the thing. Illinois never thought that way. If, if you remember, they they hired uh, Bruce Weber for much less than a million, um, mm-hmm. and he, w- he was deserving in the sense that he had taken – uh, SIU to the to the tournament twice and, and you know and, and had really good teams at SIU and but the point my point is that Bill Self could recruit mm-hmm. and Illinois did not had never had a recruiter quite like him I shouldn't say never but at that point he He's was just so different. valuable because he had players on the way that were going to continue that run now whether he'd have gone thirty seven and two with uh, you know that team that that uh, that Weber coach, I don't you know I don't know if they've gone thirty-seven two, but they would have been really good. And with self coaching, I mean he doesn't hurt a team with his coaching. No, but the the, the circumstances simply weren't right. Kansas was going to do everything they could to get him, and Illinois, uh, I think Gunther felt like that uh, it was upset with the disloyalty that he felt after he had been promised that Bill would stay here. And by the way, at that very precise moment, Illinois and Kansas were on a level playing field. That's actually true. I'm glad you mentioned that. I had forgotten that. At Illinois that had success against them in the NCAA tournament, as you remember as well. Yeah, and uh, I mean, Kansas Kansas needed a coach like Self who could bring players in. And they've got an operation there that's going to be successful forever. Yeah. I mean, that basketball is the number one issue there, and they will – do everything that they can to to make sure that they're successful. Whether it's a- getting people in academically, whatever it takes, they'll they'll do it. 
Want to hear from you? 356-9397. Texas on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 351-5357. Send us your thoughts via email. Talk at WDWS.com. If you miss any of this show today, it's on our website, WDWS.com. Also a podcast on iTunes. And, and as, you, as you look at this going forward, I mean, I don't really – Kansas fans I don't think are always happy because of they have – they demand more than the one championship. But – I wonder how happy they are because he's had some early exits. I mean, he's had a great success there. From my perspective, eight yeah. elite eights is it, at one school is incredible. It's not good enough. It isn't. It's never good enough. It's like Kentucky. It's never good enough. You can't if you won eight out of nine championships, it wouldn't be good enough. Well, they won the ninth. <laughs> <laughs> it's just amazing. It's like eight elite eights in about fifteen years or so would. If that happened here. There'd be a statue outside the arena. Whoever the coach was reasonable. Well, now, wait a minute. Now, once you do that, you change the attitude of the fans. That's if true. you start, if you start, <laughs> you, you so start having, you know, then somebody will say, "Well, wait a minute. If he hadn't substituted with uh, three minutes to go, we'd have won that game. We'd have, you know, there, there'd be some. There's criticism where no matter no matter how much you accomplish, there are fans that are still going to be unhappy with something, some aspect of it. Oh, they, they, they most definitely. And there'll be some of us writing about aspects of it that could have been better, sure. Well, uh, a couple other games last time we get to. Got some Illini football recruiting news to discuss as well. West Virginia lost to number one Villanova in a game that West Virginia led in the second half, but Villanova caught fire from three and pulled away. Jalen Brunson had 27 points. Villanova won 90-78. to And the other game we hadn't mentioned yet, number 11 Syracuse played well against Duke, and it was a tight game. But number two Duke, the number two seed Duke Blue Devils, advanced 69-65 to take down Syracuse Orange in advance. You saw how good Brunson was for Villanova, didn't you? I every start dropping threes. They they made thirteen out of twenty four. Just think how that's thirty nine points out of twenty four shots. I, I I don't know why it it, it uh, every time I see Jalen Brunson play, I just I understand that you know he went to Villanova. It's got a great program. He's got a national championship, a couple of Final Fours or whatever. But um, could have another one. Um, it just it kind of hurts a little that he that he got out of the state and went all the way out to Villanova and not, instead of coming here and you know it's. Wish he would have been here. It would have changed. I didn't care who the coach was at the time here. I mean, not because I was hoping John Gross would stay, but that just changes so many things. If a player like that, he was really good in high school, but did you know he'd be this good on yeah. a team that's – Oh, yeah. I, I, he's just the star, and he has been for a couple of years. He's you the player on their team. He's not going to be a lottery pick. Mm, too short. You know, athleticism is so important. Do you know what's important in, in the NBA – when they, when they, I think I, I looked this up, of the six of the top sixteen players to be drafted, upcoming, and this is a projection that may not, obviously, won't turn out exactly right. Thirteen of them are freshmen. Thirteen of them are freshmen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's only there's only three guys that aren't freshmen. One guy's from Real Madrid, <laughs> and the two others are named Bridges. Yeah. Bridges from Villanova, and and by the way, Bridges from Villanova is is considered a better pro prospect than Brunson which and then there's Miles Bridges yeah Miles Bridges which I'm interested to see uh he's he's gonna get drafted below his teammate Jackson I think uh, I don't know what's going on with Jackson when you when you go uh -huh. when you get blanked in the NCAA tournament what happened to, that was the reason they lost he was non-productive yeah he, he was over four from the field I don't know how much time he spent on the bench in the second half but you can't have a great player like Jer I mean he He's the only one of the of the star players with his Bamba, whether it's uh, Aiton, 
uh, from Arizona. All those super huge superstar players all played pretty well in the tournament, except Jaron Jackson. Yeah, he didn't play well, and it cost it. It, it cost Michigan State. They and oh um, for four from the field. What's that? Yeah, I mean that's not even that's not even active in the game. They're not even involved at that point. I don't get it. Villanova 44 threes in the tourney. Thanks to Evan Kahn for sh- sending this my way. I saw it this morning. Uh, thanks for the reminder. Most all-time through three games, courtesy of CBS, and we touched on uh, Villanova's shooting from three-point range. Got a couple text messages we'll get to. We'll take a break, but first want to mention before we go to break, and we can talk about this briefly, coming up later in the show, Robert Rosenthal of Illini Board will join us to break down the Isaiah Williams commitment, which was kind of expected. You, you know, it's Every school in the country wants Isaiah Williams, and Isaiah Williams, the 28th player in the country by 24-7 sports and the 37th player in the country by rivals. He sounds at, like Jackson in Louisville, doesn't he? He does a little bit. He, yeah, he's. I mean, I watched a couple highlights yesterday, and just uh, his shiftiness and his speed, and, man, I, they can play him wherever they want to play him. And he wants to play quarterback. Illinois has told him, I believe, that he's going to play quarterback, and he is – a tremendous talent, a five-star, and it's good to have him committed, but there's a long time between now and December. I'm not saying he's thinking about leaving. He's, he wants to be here, and but so many things could change between now and December. So until he's signed, sealed, and delivered, you know, you, it's really early in the recruiting pl- in process. But it's a great pickup by Lovey Smith. Fall two weeks ago, t- two weeks ago today. Well, I want to see what it, what it brings. You know, uh, uh, yep. that's the key now. A one football player doesn't change a program. No. It's a game of numbers, and they're going to have 25 more commit, uh, more recruits coming in next year. And now they have right now they got three or four that are already lined up. Uh, numbers are all that really matters. You've got to, because injuries happen. You don't know. He's only 170 pounds. They say uh, maybe he's under that. Um, that's an awful lightweight to play this game. But um, if you're good enough, it doesn't matter, I guess. Yeah, well, Illinois right now, uh, according to the recruiting rankings, it's so early because there's you just mentioned a lot don't, of the, don't do this. Don't do, I, I want to do it? I want to do it just because <laughs> you don't want me to do it. All right, and I didn't want to do it, but it's in the it's in the News Gazette today. Picked up the sports section. Illinois has three commits right now, so this is really meaningless because <laughs> they might have twenty two more, twenty three more, depending on how how things shake out, transfers and all that go, on that good jazz. Right now, by rivals, Illinois has the seventeenth overall class. In the country, <laughs> fourth in the Big Ten, okay. and that's because they got two top hundred players. Oh, okay, and then twenty. That's wonderful. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I know. I've just put this out there for fun. It's not even anything serious because this is all going to change dramatically one way or the other. Twenty four seven Sports has them twenty fourth overall and seventh in the Big Ten. But again, three players, two of them top one hundred players. Well, one's top thirty and one's top. You know, one's got ranked. Marquez Beeson's is fifty fourth one place and seventy eighth another. But still, t- two top one hundred players in the class. It's a great start, but like you said, we speed kills. Uh, it does. And, and you got some real speed there with those two. When Alabama and Ohio State and LSU and many others were on that list, uh, those guys want speed. Those schools want speed, and and Illinois is getting speed. Beeson and Williams is a great start, but like you heard Lawrence say, it's a football team. You need a lot more. This isn't like basketball where you can get a couple guys and turn things around in a hurry. Speaking of basketball, who's coming in tomorrow? I want you to tell me. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I'm going to do that after the break. I'm going to I'm going to look at Hanish Billy. I I'm I'm going to try to say it after the break. You just said it. I'm going to try to say it after the break. <laughs> Stay with us. 
We've got a text message to get to coming up at 9.30. Brad Evans of Yahoo Sports will join us, uh, bracketologist, uh, break down the NCAA tournament, uh, see what he thinks is going to happen the rest of the way. Is Bruce Weber going to advance to his second Final Four, first time in 13 years? This is the farthest he's made it into the tournament since he left Illinois. Illinois has not even made the Sweet 16 since uh, 2005. Bruce Weber one went away from the Final Four. All that's coming up. 10 o'clock, our good friend Paul Cleve. have not on for a while. He's going to be back uh, on the he's show. He's in with mourning. He's in mourning. I when they lost the other night, uh, Gonzaga. Gonzaga. Uh, I was like, oh man, he's gonna be in a good mood. I thought about pulling some Gonzaga highlights, but then the Bulldogs lost. Uh, still talked to Paul about Gonzaga and the season that Gonzaga had. His thoughts on the Illinois program and the NCAA tournament and more. That's coming up. Stay with us. This is Saturday Sports Talk on DWS. Makai Luke will inbound to Newman. Newman at half court. Newman weaving around one second, and that's going to do it. A little fist pump from Bill Self as the Kansas Jayhawks are on their way to their third straight Elite Eight and the 22nd trip in KU history. Kansas survives a scare late, beating Clemson 80-76. to On to the Elite Eight for the Jayhawks. Trent ready. One step beyond the foul line, now inches up to it. Leaning in on the right foot, bends his knees. Second free throw is good. Four-point lead for Duke, 69-65. Inbound to battle. Clock running with three seconds. Battle with two seconds. Battle with one second. A three at the horn. No! And in a topsy-turvy tourney, the Midwest region goes chalk. Number one, Kansas. Number two, Duke in the Midwest Regional Final on Sunday as Duke eliminates Syracuse 69-65. One versus two for the Final Four in Omaha. You know, we were playing, you know, uh, uh, you know not to lose down the stretch as opposed to trying to, trying to uh, close them out. But, uh, you know, we, we did enough. And, and certainly, you know, we, we, nobody can say that we have, we've played our best game yet. So, so we haven't played our best game yet. So hopefully that'll come Sunday. A great game uh, to win, a really difficult game to lose because they, Syracuse played such winning basketball. And, uh, you know, Jim's kids, you know, that's their fourth NCAA game. They had won three. Welcome back to Saturday Sports Talk on DWS. I'm Michael Kaiser alongside Lauren Tate. Kansas and Duke advancing to the Elite Eight. It's the only matchup that's a 1-2 matchup in the Elite Eight. Villanova was close to that. Texas Tech is a third seed, beating Purdue the two seed last night. So the right side of the bracket, the East and Midwest regions, both have a pretty much normal, you know, everything went pretty much chalk there but texas tech was the only outlier but they're a three seed the red raiders are so they're not much of a difference today's matchups include a nine and eleven which is k-state and loyola and number nine florida state taking on number three michigan and uh you know the big 10 was much maligned this year but michigan with a victory today which will not be easy uh michigan will advance to the final four and the big 10 will have a final four team but no surprise with with john beeline there uh, again so Sunday, can't wait for that matchup, Lauren. Kansas and Duke, one versus two. Kansas, the one seed, and uh, that's going to be a fun game. And uh, Duke's been playing well. Uh, they, you know, struggled to put away Syracuse last night, but that's not, you know Syracuse has had a solid tournament. They won three NCAA tournament games. Yeah, I, I would think that for me right now, Duke would be the yep. favorite. But I, don't, I wouldn't say they're the favorite over Villanova. Villanova's just playing terrific. So, and then these Texas teams, you. Know, you never know what to expect from them. I mean, th th that Texas Tech could be, is pretty good. 
Yeah, they are. You know, Texas, the state of Texas had some really good basketball this year. And that doesn't necessarily include Shaka Smart's Texas team. Yeah, although they Houston. were pretty good. Houston was very good. Should have advanced I mean, to the Sweet yeah, 16. I mean, and there was a time, you know, not too many years distant when Texas just wasn't known for its basketball. Yep. But they're, they're really strong in basketball now. Well, we'll see what happens tomorrow. But today, Bruce Weber trying to advance for his first Final Four since 2005. Had to take down Loyola. And Loyola with three wins. And we talked about this uh, off off the air. Loyola has as many tournament wins as Illinois since 2005. Illinois won in 2006, 2011, and 2013. One win each year. The only tournament wins in the last 13 years for the Illinois men's basketball program in the NCAA tournament. Loyola, as an 11 seed, has three wins this year. And that's it's just difficult to, for a lot of fans to, to probably hear that and, and, and recognize that. But um, you just – Things are going to have to turn around soon, and, and this depends on what happens with the roster and how it shapes this offseason, uh, how Illinois is going to look next year and what the chances would be. A couple texts to get to um, from the Castle Heating and Cooling text line, 618 area code. Kansas is not a blue blood. K-State prior to 1988 won more Big 8 titles. Now it's the Big 12. Had more NCAA tournament appearances. Kansas was an upper half of the Big 8 program. Nothing more. They are new money. Uh, now they are new money. Well, Kansas Kansas has been pretty good for a while, though. I mean, I think, uh, Kansas is a blue blood. They are, they are now, absolutely, and they are now. I think they are now. I mean, it's, when it comes to recruiting, this, the athletes consider Kansas among the top five or six schools that they consider. And Kansas is just loaded year after year. You don't win, what is it now, 14 consecutive Big 12 titles? It's uh, yeah, I it's mean, 14. Come on. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I mean, the, the, the tournament is a crapshoot. The, it absolutely the league is. season it determines who the best team is over the over the period of the season, but you can you can get on a hot streak here at the end and and uh, you know anything can happen as we're seeing. I mean, I think every sentence that has you know I'm going to mention this in my column. Every sentence that I hear from anybody when I get up the next morning is, "Can you believe? Can you believe? I mean, there's something you can't believe every day." Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's just it's just been it's just been incredible, and I think that um, it's you don't want to get caught in the moment. That you know, this I don't know whether this is the that was the best first weekend last weekend ever or not. I mean, it's just it, you, no one has the knowledge up front to know that without actually researching and looking into it. But what a weekend that was! I, you know, I walked away from last weekend exhausted uh, from those games, just seeing all the lower seed wins, and it was it was just a lot of fun to watch. And I, I, for my money, March Madness is one of the best events. It goes over several weekends, but it's just. So so much fun to to be around the NCAA tournament and watch it. Marcus texts in the Castle Heating and Cooling text line. Really, you go negative right out of the gate, speculating he won't sign. Well, I wasn't really speculating he won't sign. I'm just saying it's March, December's a long way away, and you, you just you see it across college football, and it's just how it works. There's so many factors involved. I, I'm I'm certain that he's coming here. I, I have no doubt he's going to sign here in December. Um, you just my concern is really. Lauren and I talked about this before the show. Was Illinois got to win some football games? You know they're getting these marquee players that are paying that are looking at them uh, to have committed. Illinois has to win some football games. You know all the buzz talk is fine right now; it's exciting right now. But if Illinois goes, you know, two and ten again and zero and nine in the Big Ten, uh, that's not going to bode well for recruiting. It just isn't. And Illinois has to find a way. If in and Lauren, I told you this: if Illinois goes five and seven this year and is competitive in pretty much every game. Well, that's I, fine. I, then I they're think, okay. Yeah, I think that players would look at it a little differently if you're competitive all the time, as opposed to losing by double figures every game. 
which was most of the season this last year, I, I, I think there's something happening. Uh, Lovey's got some kind of staying power in terms of even though they've been losing, he has never lost his mojo. No, and he's got some play. He, this, they've got three players as you mentioned, but they've got a number of other. They're starting to make some inroads in Illinois, which has been a big disappointment to me. Even though the Illinois players might not necessarily be, in most cases, they're not better than the players in Florida and Texas. We know that in California. But I I think you've got to have a base here. And then if you can strike at places like Trinity or, you know, or Bishop Dunn down in in Dallas, and then great. I mean, you have to do that to get the speed and to get the overall talent. But um, you've got to have a home base. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, Illinois has not had that in in recent years in terms of bringing in top players north of Route 80 because that's where all the players are. We'll see what happens uh, as the 2019 recruiting class continue, continues to develop. Illinois in on some kids up in Chicago, the the area and you know the sub, suburbs, and trying to get some kids from up there that are highly sought after. And if Illinois is able to be successful, uh, I think that just goes right what into Lawrence talking about. Marcus also text in on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line. Let's talk some football. We're going to talk football extensively at 10:30 with uh, Robert Rosenthal. That's how the schedule worked out today. I had some other things booked ahead of time, but. Uh, football will be a topic of conversation. Obviously, Isaiah Williams has a, a big-time commitment yesterday. The five-star, ranked again, ranked 28th by 24-7 sports, 37th by rivals. Illinois hasn't had kids like that since 2007 when Martez Wilson and, and Regis Ben committed to Illinois. So this is a monumental thing uh, for the program, especially after not winning games 5-19 and 19 in two years to get that kind of kid and Marquez Beeson. And Marquez Beeson is all over kids across the country. Uh, it's, it's changing. Momentum is is there, and we'll talk about it later in the show. But coming up next, Brad Evans of Yahoo Sports is going to join us, give us his thoughts on the tournament so far, talk to him about Bruce Weber and his chances to make the Final Four. All that coming up here on Saturday Sports Talk on DWS. Ten on the shot clock, back to the timeline. Brown dribbles in with the left hand, gets to the basket, and scores it! Kansas State by two with 18 seconds left. Kentucky will inbound at midcourt, down by three, 5.4 seconds left. The inbounder will be green. Gabriel is out there as the best three-point shooter for Kentucky. It comes into Gilgis Alexander. He's got it on the right wing, two seconds left, puts up a three to tie. He missed it and hit the backboard and the rim and fell off. And Kansas State is off to the Elite Eight. They defeat the Kentucky Wildcats in dramatic fashion, 61-58. to It's the first trip to the Elite Eight for Kansas State since 2010. And the ninth-seeded Wildcats of K-State will meet the 11th seed, the Ramblers of Loyola in Atlanta on Saturday for the right to go to the Final Four. It's surreal. It's once again surreal, you know, being a great co- a great program and a great coach in Calipari and just uh, surviving and advancing. You know, that's all. That's the name of the game right now. Congratulations to Kansas State. They played well. They uh, played the kind of game, a physical game, and, and did what they had to do and um, shot 35% and won a basketball game. So my hat's off to them. They make runs. We got, I don't know, 30 fouls. It seemed like everybody on our team was fouled out. We were playing with 6-4 and under, and, and they're one of the biggest teams in the country. But we got big rebounds down the stretch, big stops.
Welcome back to Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Michael Kaiser, Lauren Tate with you. Highlights of Kansas State's win over Kentucky to advance to the lead eight. Of course, John Calipari and Bruce Weber after the game. Joining us now, Brad Evans, U of I alum, Yahoo Sports, joins us. How are you, Brad? I'm terrific, guys. Hopefully your bracket is not as bloody as mine. Yeah, you know what? I I, I just want to avoid that whole thing. Like I, I would have ripped mine up after the first day, but I saw you tweet last night. Uh, that now things are taking shape for you. You've got the three Final Four teams left. How in the world are you getting that luck after the first week, first weekend? Well, you know, left side of the bracket uh, is completely uh, aflame. Uh, but I had Michigan, believe it or not, uh, advancing on to the Mecca of college basketball. And they're one step away. And we could see that unfold today against uh, improbably Florida State, a team that only had winning one game, beating a, you know, a thin Missouri team. Uh, and not only that, uh, but also getting bounced by Xavier. But Florida State miraculously is in this position uh, to reach San Antonio due to its length and athleticism. But, uh, yeah, I had Michigan uh, out of that region on the right side of the bracket. I had Villanova and Duke, which was kind of chalk, really, when you think about it. And that played out. And with all the upheaval in the south region, as you guys know, with Kansas State yeah. uh, going, up, uh, going up against Loyola, it's kind of reset things. So Michigan and Villanova face off in the title game, and Nova, which looks like the team to beat right now, cuts down the nets for the second time in three years. Somebody's passion. Give Brad a follow on Twitter at Yahoo Noise. Brad, as you look at the game last night, uh, Villanova, Virginia had a, a like a you know five or six point second half lead. Looked like they were playing well, but then Villanova just got hot again from three, 44 threes in the first three games. And well, let me let me ask the question, the same one you're asking, because I've watched West Virginia play a lot this season, and they had a problem in the last ten minutes of games that they let repeatedly. And I just and last night as I was watching that, I said. This is where they usually start to collapse. Am I wrong? What? What go? Do, do people just catch up with West Virginia's defense at some point? Yeah, there's usually some adjustments that are uh, certainly made. You, you get accustomed to the in, increased uh, duress that you're on under the entire contest. And you know, look, Villanova was perfectly constructed to battle this West Virginia team, and they really struggled in the first half committing an uncharacteristic nine turnovers. Yeah. I remember in the, the halftime interview, uh, the reporter asked Jay Wright, what do you do against his press? And he just plainly looks at her and goes, I don't know. <laughs> he goes, we got to try <laughs> to figure this out. He goes, I, I mean, it was it was very honest uh, reaction. And he was just like, I have no idea uh, because they're just white on rice. And, you know, with Jalen Brunson, his ability uh, to break that contain along with DiVincenzo, DiVincenzo really struggled in the first half with the turnovers and started to tighten up a little bit late in the game. They were able to, you know, get some of those easy opportunities on the other end. They had 11-0 spurts all of a sudden about midway through the second half that really propelled Villanova forward, and they were just able to hang on and then win really honestly convincingly. You win, you know, by 12 points. Uh, I thought that was a resounding victory against that pesky defense of Press Virginia, and uh, this is why Villanova right now has to be the prohibitive favorite to win it all. Yeah, I would think that would be right. Uh, you mentioned Michigan, and, and I, I just wonder if they can get by Florida State. Can they keep shooting as well as they had 99 points the last game? I'm, I just don't, I, I, I can't be convinced about Michigan for some reason. Well, look, uh, they were hotter than a Carolina Reaper, uh, you know, in the last <laughs> contest. They were ridiculous. Uh, there was no question about that. You know, hitting, uh, what, 14 to 24 from downtown. Uh, Mo Wagner just having his way. I do Rockman. 
uh, off the dribble, you know, was uh, unstoppable in that contest. And Duncan Robinson just spotting up and, you know, from, you know, even 25, 30 feet out, straining threes like nobody's business. But, you know, if Michigan even plays, let's say, 60% of that type of game, I think they're going to coast to a victory. Because the one thing that's so underrated about this Michigan team, they're the best defensive team remaining in this field, statistically speaking. I'm a strong advocate of Ken, uh, KenPom.com and the advanced analytics there. And if you look at those numbers that Ken Palm tracks, you know, Michigan entering the tournament was a top-five defense and adjusted defensive efficiency. And right now they're number two overall in that category based upon the stoutness that they have performed here uh, in the NCAA tournament. So because of that balance on both ends of the floor, I know Florida State has that length and athleticism. Uh, and their you know, pressure defense can create havoc at times. But Michigan really doesn't turn the ball over. They're a well-oiled machine offensively, so good off the ball screen. And then on the opposite end, they really clamp down. I, I don't see how Florida State's going to survive and advance this one, guys. They got Michigan win by double figures. Well, Brad, does this help the Big Ten? It's, it's, it's the NCAA tournament. It's a, it's a crapshoot. You know, it's all about matchups and, and who you play. But does this help the Big Ten's down reputation if Michigan were to advance to the Final Four today? Oh, sure. Uh, you know, in the, uh, the optics, uh, from a you know, cursory point of view, uh, it certainly is, is promising for the Big Ten overall. But it doesn't really dismiss how down the league was uh, in its entirety this season. You know, outside uh, the top four or five teams, uh, it was a mishmash of mediocrity. And that's probably putting it kindly uh, as the bottom of the league really dragged down the profiles. You know, a lot of people were up in arms about Michigan State only getting – a three seed after, you know, winning uh, the outright title uh, in the regular season. But uh, they just didn't have those quadrant one wins. The overall body of work uh, wasn't strong enough to justify a two or a number one seed. And, you know, you look at a North Carolina, sure, the Tar Heels had more losses, uh, but the Tar Heels had the most quadrant one wins, 14 in that category, uh, of any team in the country, and by a significant margin. So, uh, you know, it, it does save some base for the Big Ten, uh, but you know how these things are, guys. It's, it's very cyclical based on uh, the exodus of talent uh, due to the one-and-done rule and all the very loose transfer rules that are out there. The Big Ten could easily get back on top of the pedestal next year, knock off either the Big East, the Big 12, the SEC, the ACC, and be the most dominant conference in the land. Uh, talk a little more about Michigan State and where they go from here. Do, do they lose Bridges and Jackson? What happened to Jackson in that final game? Why was he so inept? And um, what about Tom Izzo? Well, I think Izzo's going to survive the storm. Um, You know, he's weathered it this long. Uh, You know, there were some rumors. And, you know, he was really downtrodden um, when, you know, the Nasser case came out. Uh, He had some unsavory comments that were tied to that. That got him in a little bit of hot water. Uh, But, you know, he started addressing it uh, in in post-game interviews. Uh, But he sounded like a beaten man, uh, quite honestly. But uh, it seems like he's gotten through that fog that dark time, and and I think he's going to stick around for as long as Michigan State will have him. Now, the program, in terms of how competitive it's going to be next year, uh, you know, they're going to reload. Uh, They've got a good recruiting class coming in. Uh, But you're right about Jaron Jackson. I mean, this is a guy that's supposed to be a lottery pick. And, you know, his size is 6'11". He was skittish. He was a deer in headlights against that Syracuse 2-3 zone, and he would catch the, the ball deep in the pocket right there in the paint, uh, a little bunny, you know, six, seven footer, and he was unwilling to take that shot. So if I'm an NBA GM and I'm looking at that, I'm, I'm you know, second guessing whether or not I want to invest my lottery pick in a guy, you know, despite having enormous upside, 
uh, who is that weary at times in those situations. So, uh, you know, I think Jaron Jackson's going to have to get a little bit stronger uh, mentally uh, to prepare for the next level. But, yeah, I, and we assume that he's going in the NBA, uh, Miles Bridges as well. So, you know, Sparty uh, may not be partying next year in the Big Ten and could open the door for some other program. You know, uh, Jackson should have eaten up that Syracuse in the middle because – that's where you send your best player. I mean, I mean, if you can hit a ten foot turnaround jump shot, in many cases, you're and, and if you, if you can't, there's that may if they double team you, then somebody else is open. That getting the ball in the middle would seem almost mandatory to me, and and they weren't they just weren't successful in doing that. Well, and what's crazy too is they were getting a number of second chance opportunities. They bludgeoned Syracuse in that category and simply could not cash in. Had a lot of uh, wide-open looks along the wing at the three-point arc and could knock those shots down. It was contagious. Uh, it was a scorers that really rocked Michigan State offensively. And, and, again, it goes back to, like you said, you know, exploiting the middle of the, of the, of the floor in that paint area in that 8- uh, to 10-foot range. They had those opportunities. They simply were not taking advantage. Brad Evans of Yahoo Sports joining us on Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Michael Kaiser, Lauren Tate with you. Give Brad a follow on Twitter at Yahoo Noise. Brad, there are three Big 12 teams left here in the Elite Eight. Uh, people are kind of down on that conference sometimes because Kansas wins the, the league every single year, has pretty much every year Bill Self's been there. Um, what, what's your take on how strong that league really is? Again, it's the NCAA well, tournament, and we just talked about that, but. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was the best conference the entire year. And there are a lot of people that disagree with me. Uh, you know, the, the computer metrics that were out there certainly agreed with that perspective, that it was the best conference in the land. And I mean, there was a point uh, there that it was even conceivable all 10 teams could have made the NCAA tournament if Iowa State went around roughshod through the Big 12 tournament, earned the automatic berth, and Oklahoma State would have snuck in because they were right there in that bubble conversation. Uh, with the quadrant one wins and ultimately on the outside looking in because the RPI and its sole measurement, its sole form at 90 overall would have been historic, unprecedented if the Cowboys would have earned an at-large. But um, that just speaks to the depth of that league. Um, I mean, it, it is a, it's a rock'em, sock'em, robot battle night in and night out uh, in the Big 12. And I think it's actually benefited uh, all clearly here in the NCAA tournament in a single elimination, high-leverage format. Uh, where you're going to have a lot of these tough instances where your backers and your backs are against the wall, and you got to come out swinging. So uh, that's why we have, you know, Kansas State still ticking uh, in a battle against uh, the holy waters of Loyola Chicago, uh, and then also, of course, Kansas. So uh, Kansas had a, a fairly favorable draw at the top end uh, of its bracket, and now it's it's going to be really tested against that Duke front line, and that's clearly a weakness outside Azubuque uh, for the Kansas Jayhawks. Um, you know, I, the, the conference, and of course, Texas Tech uh, is going to have a mountain to climb against Villanova, but the conference has done itself a great deal of uh, sterling branding here in the postseason. Uh, while we're talking about projections, let's project some coaching changes. I, I, I see that I just see John Giannini, an old friend, uh, was uh, let go by LaSalle, a mutual consent there. Uh, but I, just, there's so many things starting to happen, and, and with, with, the, uh, with when you get down to the Final Four, there's going to be, a, I would imagine, some even more uh, more tumult this this week and in the coming weeks. We still don't know what's going to happen at Louisville. We just got a new coach at uh, UConn. We've got Arizona. We don't know what's if, if anything's going to happen there. Um, Auburn, I guess he's safe. They say he's safe, but uh, Chuck Person isn't. 
So what's going to happen uh, coaching-wise? How many changes do you see uh, foresee? Well, I think there's, there's always a lot of talk at the Final Four, as you guys know. It's a congregation, really, uh, a confluence of all the, the muckety-mucks uh, in the business that, you know, one place at one time, there's always a lot of talking, there's a lot of agents buzzing about ADs as well, trying to do some back-channel conversation uh, to test the temperature of the water. So, you know, there'll probably be some coaching moves uh, made next weekend. Uh, and then I think it's going to be a slow drip, a slow trickle after that, because everybody's waiting on pins and needles to find out what's going to happen with these FBI investigations. You know, what new revelations are going to be un, un, uh, uh, un, unleashed here, revealed. You know, a lot of the uh, documents are sealed in a court right now. We don't know 100 percent whether or not Sean uh, Miller, you know, uh, actually offered $100,000 DeAndre Aiden uh, over the phone, uh, at least mm-hmm. ghost. So, you know, there's, there's still some dispute uh, in that type of conversation. Uh, but I think, you know, as you mentioned, you know, Pittsburgh uh, is a job that's open right now. Maybe a Porter Moser uh, could be somebody that uh, the AD there entertains. Uh, Arizona, I would say Sean Miller's probably a 50-50 proposition, but he stays in Tucson. I still think it's 50-50 for Bruce Pearl as well at Auburn uh, because I, I don't think he's out of the woods quite yet. And all this will be revealed. All this, uh, you know, will have uh, a great uh, revelation in time. Uh, but right now, like I said, it's going to be a slow process. And the latest we're hearing in Louisville is that it could be uh, close to a done deal with Chris Mack jumping uh, from Xavier going across the river uh, and a little bit further west uh, and running that program. But why would he leave Xavier? Why would he? I don't know. Why would he, do, why would he leave that program knowing another program could be on probation? Too? Yeah. Yeah, and it's Greg Marshall. I, I I don't know if he's interested in leaving, but he seems to be more willing to listen. But I, I was interested in this, uh, just the names, Marty Simmons. There's a, there's a familiar name uh, being out at Evansville. Uh, you've got uh, Tim Floyd, the former Bulls coach uh, at UTEP. You've got uh, Paul Lusk, Missouri State. He's out there. You've got Reggie Theus at, at Northridge. You remember he was a, hopefully a candidate at Illinois uh, when John Gross got the job, and of course he didn't get an interview, but he's out. And Pepperdine just hired Lorenzo Romar. We know him. I mean, it, it just there's things happening uh, at, at a, maybe not at the very top level, but at the next level down, there, there's dozens of them, actually several dozen play, uh, coaching situations that are open down there. And I suppose as soon as you have one move, that, that creates a domino effect for some somebody else. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. You saw Medved uh, jump from Drake to uh, Colorado State yesterday. That was announced. So I think at the lower levels, the mid-major level, where those programs are not being you know, tied, uh, sullied by this FBI investigation, uh, you're seeing business as usual because this is usually the time of the year, yeah, where some of those trees, some of those dominoes do fall and those coaching positions are filled and you're seeing some retread guys, as you mentioned with uh, Lorenzo Romar going to Pepperdine. Yep. So I think that's going to continue, and it's just going to be this very slow, slow process in at the high major level. Brett? Well, Brett Evans joining us on Saturday Sports Talk here on think DWS. Anything, I don't think anything's going to happen in the Big Ten, is there? I don't think so. Looks to me like you see any coaching change in the Big Ten? No, I don't. I, think it's I don't either. Be, uh, status quo. I think, uh, you know, everybody that is in position, unless there's, you know, again, some kind of revelation to a criminal charge, uh, maybe that could be a fallout of this FBI investigation or something else happens at, say, Michigan State, for example, uh, I don't think you're going to see any turnover at all in the league. 
You know, it, it's interesting that there was a lot of talk that they Miles might get fired in Nebraska because, well, he was only 13-5, and five, but he didn't beat any of the teams ahead of him. You know who didn't beat any of the teams ahead of him? Bruce Weber. <laughs> he was 0 for 7. <laughs> in the three teams that finished ahead of him, he didn't beat any of them. He was 0 for 7, but he's doing okay now, isn't he? Oh, he certainly is. And I think Bruce is going to have to roll out a flavor of his own at the Custard Cup there in Champaign. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if he was here, he'd buy for everybody, I'll tell you that. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, he's part owner, so it's his going. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you look at Kansas State, it, it is amazing. Now, you know, kind of luck of the draw. But the fact that it was almost a David Goliath uh, feel to it going up against Kentucky. And the one thing that's, you know, so underrated about Kansas State is their ability to defend. Man, they challenge, they contest every single shot. It is going to be a war, uh, you know, just uh, trying to, you know, put the ball through basket against them on every single possession. And I, I will say this, in a game against Loyola today, I, I think it's first to 50 wins, quite honestly, gentlemen. Uh, it's going to be ugly. Uh, it's going to be nothing pretty about it. It may be boring for, you know, a lot of people out there, a level of excitement up there with the Bill Belichick post-game press conference. But, uh, you know, I really think that uh, in the end, Loyola will find a way, you know, have a holy dagger from Dante Ingram in round one the Holy Roller from Clayton Custer uh, in the round <laughs> 32. And then in the last game, you get Towns that drops uh, another clutch shot, uh, and Sister Jean just keeps on rolling on. This Loyola team is so well-disciplined, so well-coached. They don't turn it over. They're one of the elites and assisted field goals uh, made uh, on the entire season. And they short, uh, shoot 40% from downtown, plus their top 25 in adjusted defensive efficiency. So this is a team that had all the ingredients why well, I picked them into the Sweet 16 and had them going this far. But I'm not entirely shocked that the Ramblers have continued to ramble on this deep in the NCAA. Did you see how many layups? Um, I think uh, Mike sent me a message about um, – Somebody was raining threes at the at the time. Yeah, Michigan. Michigan was doing that. Yeah, yeah. Michigan's raining. I'm thinking, yeah, and you know, Loyola's raining layups. Because, <laughs> and do you, these guys have learned when they get to the basket to go to the reverse side repeatedly because guys that aren't the biggest have to figure out ways to score without getting their shots blocked. And they didn't. They made their first 13 shots of the second half. First 13 because half of them were layups. I, I, it's, it's interesting to me that they, they, they I, will Kansas State allow that? Uh, probably not. And you know, based on the brief category report that Weber probably had in crunching the film here over the last, uh, you know, twenty-four, thirty-six hours, he's going to find a way to try to claw the lane, make those shots at least challenging. You know, Clayton Buster in particular is so good off the dribble, and you look at the guy, he, he almost looks like a Galapagos scored at the time for that first step. I mean, he's not particularly quick. Uh, but he finds a way, he has the savvy and the mock uh, and the deceptiveness to get around the defender and then just tip it off the glass. He's a pretty strong finisher, uh, kind of an old-school uh, game, as, as my esteemed colleague Marta would say. He would reach a big day uh, at the YMCA game, but he would go out there and drop, you know, 15, 20 points on So he's got kind of an old man's game. But uh, we'll see what Kansas State throws out there and trying to, uh, you know, this to stop it. Uh, I don't see how Loyola uh, is going to fall short in this one, gentlemen. I think it's going to come right down to the last couple of possessions. And there's just something, I don't know if it's divine intervention or what, but there is something in the water in Chicago. Uh, <laughs> Chicago. But it, it's working. It's working right now. And this team will find a way to get over the top. Brad, uh, you, I think you've killed a, a dream matchup for Illini fans in the national title game. You've, you've said Duke's going to win today, probably. And Loyola's going to win. Well, Duke's to win tomorrow. I'm sorry. And then Loyola win today. You're stealing the Bill Self versus Bruce Weber national championship from from, from Illini fans. 
Well, I don't, is, that a, is that a good thing? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> yeah, I might open uh, open up some wounds there. But, yeah, no, I, I, I think, uh, in, in just to touch on Kansas real quick, Kansas is the weakest defensive team remaining in this field and by a significant margin. And I think they're just going to be seriously exposed in the paint by Bagley and Wendell Carter. And then the guards of Duke, too, man. They're, they're quick off the dribble. And I, I'm really curious to see what Coach K rolls out. Does he dare go to zone? Or yeah. feel back that god awful man defense that he employed early in the season to try to stop these sharpshooters of Kansas along the perimeter. Well, Brad, we're short on time. Uh, the next time we have you on, we want to talk about Illinois and uh, you're observing the, this season and what you thought of uh, Brad Underwood's first season. The roster's changing uh, quite frequently. So let's get you on again soon, and uh, we'll break that down with you. Is that all right? I would love to do that. Thanks for having me on, gentlemen. Thanks, Brad. Enjoy the rest of the tournament. You too. Thanks. That is Brad Evans of Yahoo Sports. Give him a follow on Twitter at Yahoo Noise. He's a bracketologist, uh, breaks down the NCAA tournament uh, throughout the season as you get close to Selection Sunday, and uh, good to have him on and tell us what's going to happen this weekend. It looks like Loyola is heading to the Final Four. We'll see what happens there tonight. That game is tonight, and then also Florida State and Michigan after that. Stay with us. We'll have uh, a little bit later with Paul Klee coming up, and then at 1030, We'll shift into football exclusively with Robert Rosenthal. Talk about the Isaiah Williams commitment yesterday. Big news. He did it early yesterday morning, around 8 o'clock or so, uh, right before he went to class, I guess. So we'll, we'll break that down with Robert coming up. This is Saturday Sports Talk on DWS. Welcome back to Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. I'm Michael Kaiser. He's Lauren Tate. Plenty of college basketball NCAA tournament action conversation this morning. Also, Illini football talk with uh, Isaiah Williams' commitment yesterday. Another big Isaiah Williams looking to join the fighting Illini. Of course, Juice Williams was the last one uh, who played, was on the Rose Bowl team, of course. Uh, some Illini uh, basketball news. Uh, Four-star wing Tevian Jones told uh, Kedrick Prince of Illinois Rivals he'll make his decision on April 11th, the first day of the spring signing period. It goes through May 16th, so we'll see uh, what happens there and what his decision is. Arizona was involved, but uh, Kedrick said that Arizona's not involved now. Coming out of the break, though, that was Porter Moser and Sister Jean as they get ready to take on Kansas State tonight uh, in the Elite Eight. We got first game is at 5:09 on TBS. The second game is Florida State against Michigan at 7:49. So those are two games tonight. Tomorrow, number three seed Texas Tech against the number one seed Villanova. The number two Duke takes on number one Kansas. Great matchup there. Looking to watch that blue blood matchup tomorrow indeed a couple texts to get to before we take another break and uh, bring in paul clee always good to have paul on bill says uh, on the castle heating and cooling text line i consider kentucky and duke as one and out schools in kansas nc msu as two and outs years ago thad mata seemed to be building a big 10 dynasty but fell off mccaffrey beeline and painter made good early runs and line success was stymied by anderson and williams departures now purdue and michigan fans have to wonder how losing swanigan and dj wilson affect their rare chance chances at a championship if Leonard stays had stayed at Illinois how would that affected the Illini uh, I think the Illinois would have been better that next year I, I think that oh, uh, yeah uh, easily say. I mean I think the Illinois makes the sweet 16 they almost did without him Illini did they lost barely lost to Miami in that second round game it made a huge difference yeah I didn't made a huge difference I, I don't think I don't think that's a contest against Miami. I think Illinois wins that game and it comfortably not really comfortably but I think Illinois wins that game against Miami they probably would have been a higher seed so actually I don't want to say who they well, would have changed everything would have changed the seeding and Illinois wouldn't have been I think they were a nine seed uh that year so yeah absolutely but Myers Leonard was a huge loss because 
you know, it hit Gross right in the nose right when he came in. It was the first thing that happened. Yeah, and Myers was much better his sophomore year, and who knows how good he would have been his junior oh, year. Oh, he was just growing. He was just yeah. developing. He he wasn't even the top in the top 15 selections for all Big Ten yeah. as a sophomore. Yeah. He would have been as a junior. Absolutely. I agree. Bill also says, uh, my point is sometimes as painful as it is, you have to give coaches time. I am seeing football recruiting making big strides, and I think Underwood is the right choice. The line basketball and football did not get this bad overnight and won't be fixed overnight either. So it's true. I mean, it, it, it took several years of being down. Illinois football, though, has not had sustain, sustained success for, for quite some time. Uh, and so, it, you know, in terms of winning eight, nine games, you know, they have a year here and there, but nothing consistent. Um, but it it's it will take some time for both programs. Basketball m- might be turned around faster. Depends on how the rest of this recruiting class works out. And football, I, I honestly, Lauren, I think that uh, this season potential maybe if they can get six wins next year, twenty nineteen. I think Illinois has to get to a bowl game. But I think twenty twenty, depending on how this recruiting class shakes out, and if if Isaiah Williams brings kids with him. That 2020 could be a pretty good year, as a pretty good year for Illinois. But well, I'm, yeah, I, I hope it doesn't take that long. But yeah. I mean, I, I those all those linemen will be juniors. Yep. In 2019, mm-hmm. which is the year that uh, Williams gets here along with Beeson, and uh, you know who knows who knows who'll be in this class. I mean, and and by the way, uh, don't expect freshmen to lead you to the promised land. I yes. Mean, you've got to develop. A squad of, and right now they're so weak at linebacker. I think. I mean, I not that they don't have some adequate people that can start, but the depth at linebacker is really scary, and we don't know how good the secondary is going to be yet. I think the lines are going to be better, both offensively and defensively. But there's an awful lot to, there's there's a, there's a lot of aspects to the football team, and and Illinois is only uh, right now resolving a few of them, not all of them. We're going to take a break. We'll come back. Paul Klee is going to join us. He used to work for the News Gazette, a beat writer for the Illini men's basketball team back in the day, now out in Colorado, Denver, po- Denver sports columnist. Uh, out there covers Broncos, Nuggets, Rockies, the Colorado Av- Avalanche, and more. So we'll talk to Paul Klee, get his thoughts on the NCAA tournament, and his thoughts on Bruce Weber potentially making the Final Four with a win tonight. That's all coming up next here on DWS. The world at your feet. Take a look around, and you will see. Things the right way and help them develop, uh, you know, and, and I know when the paper comes on, uh, comes to your door or the, or the news comes on, my kids don't have to worry that I did something I'm not supposed to. You know, at Purdue, years and years, uh, you know, as an assistant, you know, we, we got a lot of kids that weren't top 100, ended up in the NBA. We did the same. Southern Illinois took a team to the Sweet 16 with – Guys that you know weren't even recruited by other Division One players, um, you know Illinois. You know I, I think we've done okay. There, you know there we did some special things. Had some guys play in the NBA, and um, you know I just try to do it right the way I, I feel it should be done. Welcome back to Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Lauren Tate, Michael Kaiser with you. Bruce Weber on winning without blue chip recruits uh, through the years, going back to his time at Southern Illinois. Joining us now is Paul Clee, former, formerly of the Champaign News Gazette, now works for the Colorado Springs Gazette. Paul Clee, good morning. <laughs> I think uh, 
I won't I won't mention it too much today. We probably will, but uh how you doing this morning? You all right? I'm doing great, man. I'm either getting ready to go to a hockey game or go fishing. I'm not sure which one yet. <laughs> I think the latter and, is. And if I if I get to if I get to start my day talking to Coach Tate, I'm I'm the happiest man in America. <laughs> look out, look out here. We know that you love Gonzaga. What happened? <laughs> Oh, gosh. Uh, I think it was similar to what happened to Xavier um, in that game. I'll be honest with you guys. I, I had I had no inclination going into this year that my Zags would be playing in a Sweet 16. Really? That, that, that is one of the great coaching jobs I've ever witnessed. It, they lost four starters off a national championship runner-up, and – Two of those were drafted in the NBA. One was the best player we ever had, and another was a lottery pick. How about that? Yeah. So to get back there, um, I was really impressed by what they did. They, they've gotten a, a new caliber of players going to Gonzaga University. Well, you mentioned that uh, when Tilly was out, that that was a problem. Mm-hmm. He's a young man from France. What, he's 6'9", 6'10", and he had started, yeah. I see he started 35 or 36 games, averaged 24 points a game in the West Coast tourney. That had to hurt. Mm-hmm. That had to be a big factor. I, I think it was everything. I, I think with Tilly and Tilly, they're, they're playing Michigan for the Final Four today. Um, he's, he's a really good player, you know, and he made 13 of 14 three-pointers in the conference tournament. Whoa, 13 of 14? Woo! It was a record, yeah. So uh, I got a text message, Lauren, about – 15 minutes before tip-off that said Killian is out, and my heart sunk. And uh, I went to make a cocktail after that because <laughs> uh, I didn't think we could beat those big, bad Knowles without Killian Tilly. He's a really good player. What was the choice, the cocktail of choice? <laughs> you know, it's a Cletini, actually. It's, um, <laughs> it's a famous in three states. Uh, Marcus Jackson. Uh he helped, he helped uh, with the recipe back in the day, and now it's kind of taken on a life of its own. But I didn't think we could beat them without him just because Florida State was, was such a big front line. They were such a big front line. And, They're a moose. And yeah. they had given Xavier problems. So, Well, tell us about guys. Zach Norvell because he's the guy from Simeon. Why did he redshirt last year? You said too many good players, Ooh. huh? Too many guys, yeah. Too many good players. Uh, Nigel Williams Goss and Jordan Matthews and boy they had a lot I thought Gonzaga was the best team in the country last year and and Zach Norvell just he couldn't get on the court and he got hurt early I think he probably would have played last season if he hadn't been injured early in the season uh, in the preseason but I'll tell you guys he's as good as any guard we have ever had in these 20 years oh come on now come on that's a big statement. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He's uh I want to say that Gonzaga's had two or three or four All-American guards in the last 20 years. He's as good as any of them and and he's an NBA guy. Um I, I was blown away at how good Zach Norvell is. I think they were too. I don't think they expected that. Well, I don't think we expected it on this end because I think he got away pretty easy. I don't think it was a, a I know he was the best player on Simeon's team the year he was a senior, but uh, mm-hmm. he wasn't uh, he wasn't considered in the super blue class category. Do you think? You know the guy who recruited him, uh, Tommy Lloyd at Gonzaga. He he thought he could be this good. 
mm-hmm. and they recruited in a way that they thought they're recruiting in a way that they think he's going to leave early and after his sophomore year early, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and he just really came along quickly. They do a, they're the best player development staff in the country. And to give a talent like that, a red shirt year, I think <laughs> you hand them uh you hand them really good ingredients and they make a really good cake. And that kid is, really good i mean he is a first round nba draft pick good and i did not expect that to come so simeon makes another one right and he's going to stay one more year i see announced i think yesterday that he intends to stay one more year is that right norvell will be back next year i I think we'll probably lose uh tilly and and uh, maybe hachimura but really uh, zach norvell he'll be a a centerpiece there okay Paul Klee joining us on Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Paul, and you watch the NCAA tournament, and Zach Norvell, Ingram from Loyola, and there's just Illinois player after Illinois player. Now, they, some of these kids weren't highly recruited, obviously. Ingram wasn't. But just to see Illinois players having this kind of success in the NCAA tournament and the school, Illinois, not be there in five years, it's 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 tough for fans to watch. Mm-hmm. And me, who I cover Illinois, it just it's tough to continue to see that year after year. Yeah, and you know what? And Xavier Sneed, throw him in there too. Oh yeah, um, he's a good. They one. are guys too. Those three that that you mentioned, Ingram, Norvell, and Sneed. I think I think probably Norvell's the only NBA one of the three. But they all have one thing in common that they had to be developed. They they weren't guys that stepped right into a starting lineup and were firing. So um, I think that really speaks to at least my perspective, what Illinois needs to be, University of Illinois needs to be, is that I felt like for too many years now, you tried to get, you know, the top tier guys, the guys that everybody wants, but there's not enough patience to get a guy that maybe needs a year or two or three to come along. And that's where Bruce is really good. That's where a Valley guy like Porter Moser is really good. And that's where how Mark Few built an empire. That's exactly how he built an empire, by redshirting guys and really working with them and bringing them along. So it's almost a – it is the classic Matt Painter model because when Paint got away from doing that, when he tried to go get guys that, you know, he hadn't really gotten before that maybe didn't fit at Purdue as well, that's when they stunk. And they really stunk. And when he got back to the idea of – developing players and redshirting guys and you know he's comfortable in, in Lafayette he knows he's not going anywhere so he can take a guy that maybe isn't on the top 100 list and make him into a really good player that that's I think the common thread with those three guys that you mentioned that they weren't ready right away but they put a lot of work in and now they're that that uh, Ingram kid is really stinking good and I don't think that they thought he was going to be that good and, and so you- um yeah, here he is as a senior. You just don't see many seniors that are, you know, if you, I, I just mentioned the draft before you came on here, Paul, and I think 13 out of the first 16 mm-hmm. guys are freshmen, might be freshmen, <laughs> 13 out of 16. So it's a youth deal. I mean, it's, it's going for – it's projections. It's, it's not guys that have already done it. It's what they see in the future, I think. I, I don't know how else you could yep. – You're right. You're right. And, and also it allows someone like Loyola – to survive this long 
because you've got really hardened older guys. And our team was so young. Gonzaga was so young. This is the youngest team we've, we've had that you run into a older team like a Florida state and Xavier saw the same thing. Um, they can beat you. And K state is in a similar boat that um, Bruce has been a magician with this team. And I, I, I'm also about K state. That's a really good staff that that entire staff um, knows each other so well. And you're talking about a lot of NCAA tournament experience with, you know, Brad Korn played in the Sweet 16 and Chris played and coached in a Sweet 16 and obviously what Bruce has done. So, uh, and Chester too, you know, he's been to the tournament when his arm's not broken. Yeah. Uh, but I, that's a big part of it is that whole staff, they know what they need to do and they've done a good job of taking it game by game. Paul Klee joining us on uh, Saturday Sports Talk here on DW, DWS. Give him a follow on Twitter, at by Paul Klee. Is, you, you know Bruce. I mean, you were here when Bruce was here. Um, you know him very well. Just what do you think he's going through his mind right now with what's on the line tonight uh, for the first time in 13 years? He probably wondered if he was ever going to get back. He had some early exits with K-State uh, the last few years, especially when he was a four seed a few years ago. But now he's on the brink of another Final Four. Totally different team, not mm-hmm. nearly as talented. But what do you think's going through his mind right now? I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's what's going through his mind. Yeah. Um, it's it's very sweet for him too because of the timing of it. I think the timing of the FBI investigation. True. And the academic fraud the cheaters in Chapel Hill, um, all of that. And for to have a Porter Mosier and a Brian Mullins on the other side and Chris Lowry and Bruce Weber on the other side is as good of an Elite Eight game as I could ever imagine because these guys are not cheating and they will not cheat. And they're on the doorstep right now. This is such a perfect team for, for Coach Weber. You know, before you get off, before you get off that subject, Paul, uh, Mm -hmm. as we look down the list of the teams that were eliminated, and some were not allowed in, some of the bad guys Mm -hmm. are are having trouble. Whether whether you're talking Auburn, Mm -hmm. Arizona, USC, Oklahoma State, uh, with all the tumult at Michigan State, you got North Carolina State with Dennis Smith, you got Miami, and of course you mentioned North Carolina, (laughs) you got Houston with a coach that's been uh, in trouble twice. (laughs) I mean, if I start going down the list of of the teams that got eliminated, I'm kind of happy some of them are gone. Do you hate me for that? (laughs) It's funny how that works. (laughs) Funny how that works. God is good. Um, (laughs) They they rose to the top when the bad guys did not, and it's this is very sweet for Bruce. It's very very sweet for him. Because there was a point back in, I want to say January, where I, I talked to Chris Lowry. We, we keep in touch, you know, a lot. And they didn't know how that was going to go because they had lost a really good player to injury. And then they had some other guys that were banged up. And then they lose Dean Wade. Mm-hmm. It, it's a testament to his guys. They shut out everything. And they beat some very good teams in the best league in the country strictly on by listening to what Bruce Weber wanted to do. They just did exactly what he told them and look where they are. So it's a very sweet deal. I think also too, that they're playing Brian Mullins over at Loyola. You know, I was covering the Salukis when they were recruiting Brian 
And I remember the night of his official visit, he came for a Saluki football game and coach kill met him before the game. And Chris told me at the time, this will be the biggest recruit that SIU has ever landed. He wasn't the highest ranked recruit, but it turned out to be that way that he really transformed that program into what it became eventually. And now to be playing against him in the elite eight. And Brian has been a really big part of that Loyola run. He's kind of the defensive coordinator. Um, my guess is he's going to be a head coach in the Valley very soon. And shortly after that, Brian Mullins will be a head coach in the big 10. Uh, he's as smart of a basketball mind as I've been around. And I was around him when he was about 18 and 19 years old. So um, he's been a big part of what Loyola has done. I know people look at uh, the way Kansas State has made it to this point uh, prior to the Kentucky game and say, oh, they kind of got a lucky draw with UMBC uh, beating Virginia. And I, I, you can't dispute that. And Kentucky isn't as good as Kentucky has been. This isn't a team with four top eight picks in the NBA draft. They're still really good. But the, the, Kentucky's a fifth, a five seed. Um, but it's Kentucky. They're longer. They're more athletic. They're quicker. They've got more speed. And K-State had three guys file out. You already mentioned Dean Wade is injured. And the Wildcats <laughs> still beat Kentucky. Well, the, the Wildcats beat the Wildcats. I mean, that's that's amazing to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that Kentucky team was playing like a one. They yeah. were uh, mm -hmm. they, they were rolling because they steamrolled that SEC tournament. And I thought the SEC was a little bit overvalued this year. But to win those games with that many young guys and really blitz teams, you know, they were – they were blitzing teams that you didn't really feel like you had a chance. Um, it was as good of a coaching game as I've ever seen, how he balanced the foul trouble and kept his guys cool. You saw a little bit different Bruce Weber, I think, in that Sweet 16 game where he was telling guys to kind of embrace the moment and not enjoy it. You know, he was – I wouldn't say he was stress-free because that's impossible for Bruce Weber. Yeah. He was pretty relaxed in that game. And I don't know how the heck that happened because I expected the opposite. And um, a lot of hugs in that game, I noticed. Before we get your thoughts so, on uh, it, on Illinois, uh, just and I mentioned this earlier, I had Brad Evans on uh, before you. Uh, I don't know if it's a dream matchup <laughs> for Illini fans, but it's still out there. Bill and Bruce for the national championship. Most likely not going to happen. Kansas could lose tomorrow. <laughs> If that were to happen, I mean, just – I don't even know – I don't have words to describe that situation. Do you have any? You guys would know better than I do what the temperature is like back there right now. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's not very good. It's not – Yeah, the, got a tickle. Yeah, with, yeah. with five straight missed NCAA tournaments and the roster changing and a lot of uncertainty right now. Yeah, I think they need to um, – I don't know. Do you want me to give you out, give you the blueprint for how I think they need to do it? Yes. Illinois needs to be Purdue because it's been trying to be Ohio State. And Illinois is Purdue. The difference is that Purdue knows who it is, if that makes sense. Yeah. That the, the greatest, the biggest victor in the E.J. Gordon recruitment was a guy who wasn't involved, and that was Matt Painter. That he's not going to waste his time on guys that he may get and may last more than a year, he's going to take guys that he can keep for three or four years and do it the way that they did it at SIU, do it the way they've done it at Purdue for years. I really feel like that's the direction that Illinois needs to go, that they've got to realize that they're not Ohio State. They've never been Ohio State, and they need to become more like Purdue. I think Michigan is a great example of that, where – Coach Beeline ignored Detroit, and he said, Detroit, you've got to come to me. We're not going to go to you. 
And I would like if Illinois would take that direction as well because um, he seems to always be playing this time of year. And he's doing it with guys that, you know, probably weren't on the radar of some teams. I remember those the Trey Burke and the, the Morris kid that he brought in from L.A. And, you know, guys that are they're not Detroit guys. He's not recruiting Detroit. He's, he's finding his type of guys that he can work with. I think that's another great example for Illinois. I'm going to switch you over. You know more about coaching changes than anybody. What what do you see happening? We've seen some movement, obviously. I mentioned this earlier on the show, the, the uh, coaching adjustments that are being made. What do you, Any big ones in, in, in store? Changes? Yeah. I, out west, out here, I don't think we're going to see a lot of, of coaching movement. There's not a lot of jobs going to come open. I think one that could change that is Nevada. You know, they had a great mm-hmm. run, and Eric Musselman's an NBA guy. That's where he wants to be. Um, he wants to get back to the NBA. And I'm eager to see if a job opens where he can do that. Um, that whole Nevada thing could the, break open, you know, if the if the Martin twins leave and, and uh, Jordan mm-hmm. Cor- Caroline, I mean, along with the coach, they could just that, – that thing could crumble mm-hmm. overnight, couldn't it? Well, and they lost their best recruiter too. His name's Doug Stewart. He's uh, – He's, he's a good friend. He left for Tulane after last year, and he recruited the Martins. He recruited uh, Cam Oliver last year, their big guy. Uh, he was big with, with Jordan Caroline. Uh, pretty much all their good players, Doug Gott. So he's gone too, and that, that was a big hit. Now, the players obviously remained after him, but, uh, yeah, that thing could – it could change quite a bit too, and especially in the Mountain West because the Mountain West could be adding Gonzaga. They could see – Another couple teams added, perhaps BYU. So it's not going to be quite the road that they've had the last couple of years when they've just been they've been dominant in that league. They've been head and shoulders above everybody else. Mm-hmm. Now, w- Wichita made a move like that when they were what we call dominant in, in their league. Do you see that hurting Gonzaga, helping? What do you think? You know, it's a tough one because it's one of those things where do you really want to change what's working so well? And I think it's a forward-thinking move if they were to do it. But I know that Coach Few and Coach Lloyd and those guys, they're not convinced it's the best idea that the Mountain West is going to have to bring a different type of TV package than what they have right now. They want to be on ESPN, not on CBS Sports. And three, four straight Sweet 16s, you know, I think 11 NCAA tournament wins in four years. I don't know that it's the best idea for them. I, I would like to see them stay in the WCC and change the revenue sharing around a little bit. But um, it would be fun to see them play a higher level of competition during the regular season. You know, January and February would be a little bit more interesting. Do you think that the FBI business is going to affect any coaches at Houston or Arizona or Auburn or, you know, what do you think? Mm-hmm. I don't see how it can't, you know. That that is that's a whole different animal than what we've dealt with in the past with the NCAA that, that you know doesn't have any teeth. You know, guys with badges concern me for the most part, <laughs> and um, I don't see how that can't shake everything up because you don't get the impression that it's only the ones we've heard of so far. That there's going to be more to come. So I do think it's it's going to change the landscape. Probably going to change the structure of everything. Um, but this was, this was, I think, gratifying to see some of these good guys advance further in the tournament than we expected, uh, especially at this time. 
Well, Paul, we appreciate your time this morning. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, once before we let you go, once you uh, pick the final four, who advances uh, oh today <laughs> and tomorrow, and then who's your champion? I, I, Brad Evans said Villanova. You may or may not agree. Well, break it down for us. Yeah, I, I know is the best team I've seen this year. Um, they're they're as good as I've seen in a while. They're one of the best teams I've ever seen. That that two minute spurt last night was. Whew. Yeah, I, I don't know any other teams that can do that. So they would they would be my favorite. Who's the other games that we still have left? We got Duke, Duke and Kansas. Yep, and Florida State and Michigan. Yeah, Duke, Duke will beat Kansas. Um, Florida State will beat Michigan. And, and who's going to win between uh, K State and Loyola? That's what I want to hear. The varsity, the varsity game that is going to be. <laughs> 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 That's going to be 54 to 53. Oh, don't do that to Purple. me. <laughs> Purple Cats. Purple Cats. Whoever will be back in the final four. Okay, I agree with you. My, I, yeah, I, my heart can't take a 54 53. Every time e I want, Evans took Loyola. He did. <laughs> you guys are on the I opposite. I think Loyola is a better team. I think Loyola is a better team. I think Brad, you know, Brad's another Denver guy now. Brad Evans is out here. Mm, that's um, right. It's going to look like one of those. You know, Big Ten slogs. It's going to be fifty-four to fifty-three, and whoever gets the last stop wins. I think Kansas State wins, even though I think Loyola is a is a better team. They got a better roster. And, and they what, fit what's it like after a year being on the same, writing on this for the same paper, writing columns alongside Woody Page? Come on, what's oh, it like? Great. <laughs> um, he's almost as good as Lauren Tate. Yeah, uh -huh. okay. Don't do that to me. He's a good guy. It's been he? a treat. It's been a treat to work with him. Yeah, he's yeah. he's the other columnist with me in Denver, and he um, he comes up with some lines that I, <laughs> I I would never even consider. We're at, we're at Oakland last year. They're, the Broncos are playing the Raiders, or we're in the the black hole there. And um, you know their longtime slogan has been commitment to excellence. And Woody says this looks more like a commitment to excrement. <laughs> and and <laughs> so. He's he's full of them. He's, and, full, of them. he's uh, full of them. He's got a couple years left in this gig, so I hope he sticks around with me for a while. Okay. When's he gonna put, uh, bring you on TV with him? No, I've got a face for radio. That's, <laughs> that's, that's what I've got. Well, Paul, if you're ever back in town, let us know. And I'd like to catch up with you. I would love it, guys. I appreciate you guys having me on, and and I do hope things turn around for the Alana. I hope they're patient with it because patience, I think, is the number one thing that pro program has to have. Patience is for the fans. Underwood wants players, <laughs> and he's going after them. I'm telling you, we'll know a lot you more in the players. next next the next three days and the next month or so. Uh, that uh, Courtney <laughs> Ramey is a big one down in St. Louis. That's huge. That's going to be yeah. A his dad was always a uh, a figure in the AAU scene there, so that is a big one. That. That's got a little Brian Mullins tent hinge to it, tent mm -hmm. to it, because yeah, um, he can affect more than just him. Right, I feel like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. we just got the best football player out of Missouri, by the way, Isaiah Williams. So that doesn't hurt. I mean, Illinois doing a little better in St. Louis. We hope. But we'll see. Mm -hmm. And by the way, Liddell just got Player of the Year, uh, Mr. Basketball mm -hmm. in the state. Yep. So he's from Belleville. So I think there's things happening Where's Mark down Smith there. Smith going, guys? Where's Mark Smith moving I on to? I don't know. I heard Creighton was involved. I heard. Uh, I know that Bruce has, has indicated he doesn't have room for him at this point. 
I saw Boston College, I believe. Yeah, uh, that's right. Boston College, you're right. Yesterday, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kansas State's going to be very involved with that one. Yeah. They're going to have room. Oh, you think so? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, they Bruce. They will. Yeah, well, I, that's what I thought, but I, I just know that Bruce was, is quoted as saying, you know, they're pretty full at that position, so I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> thank you for coming on with us. We'd love to have you. Thanks, Paul. Right on, fellas. It's always fun. Good. Enjoy the game tonight. Next yep. time I'm in the Esquire, I'll say, I just talked to Paul Clee, and everybody will Give cheer. Pedro a hug for me. All right. <laughs> give, uh, give my old landlord a hug for me. All right. Very good. And Paul will be fishing tonight, not at the hockey game. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's too nice outside. Yeah. See you, Paul. Have a great weekend. All right, guys. Yep. Paul Clee, formerly of the Champagne News Gazette, now the Colorado Springs Gazette. Give him a follow on Twitter at by Paul Clee. It's uh, always great to catch up with him. Uh, talk about Gonzaga. This time last year, Gonzaga was making a Final Four run to the national championship game where it lost to Carolina. So Paul Clee, a little bit down right now with that, but uh, he, as he said, he thought uh, Gonzaga had a great season, not what he expected. Well, we'll be back with uh, Robert Rosenthal, who was uh, down in St. Louis, uh, covers Illini football extensively. One of the he knows the roster inside and out, up, down, sideways. Uh, talking about Isaiah Williams coming up next, and what that commitment means, and the other players uh, with Quint, uh, Isaiah Williams who Isaiah could bring with him. That's coming up next here on DWS. First off, recruiting is going well, and uh, there's a lot of reasons why you say recruiting is going well. First off, we have an excellent staff. Our guys aren't just good football coaches on the field, but uh, uh, they're trustworthy uh, for parents to, you know, trust them to help grow their, you know, the, the young men that we bring into our program. But a part of recruiting is what we're going to do on the field and that the education that you'll get here at the University of Illinois. But young people are looking for something physical. They want, you know, they want to see it. And right now, the one thing I've always thought that we needed to improve uh, would be our facilities. And Coach, uh, really, and I say Coach, you know, because he's around here an awful lot, uh, and he knows what coaches need. But our athletic director, Josh Whitman, knew that. And he kind of saw what we needed, and he made a commitment to getting, you know, putting our facilities on par with the rest of the teams, top teams in the country. And... We have the new facility. It's uh, full-fledged construction zone going on. We see the signs of it coming up, and that's our and that's another commitment that we have to just becoming more of that top-tier football program. Welcome back to Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Lovey Smith sat down with Martin O'Donnell. Uh, Line of football put that a tweet out yesterday. Talk about recruiting and the facilities and its impact on recruiting. Good timing because yesterday, five-star athlete, quarterback of Trinity Catholic down in St. Louis, announced his verbal commitment to Illinois. Uh, can't sign until December. Isaiah Williams, uh, member of the Illini recruiting class for 2019, joining us now. Rob- Robert Rosenthal of Illini Board. Give him a follow on Twitter at Illini. Robert, feeling pretty good this morning, I would guess? I'm feeling okay. I'm uh... I mean, the two best recruits of the decade, both verbal within the last two weeks. Uh, I would say that's a uh, that's a fairly good march for Lovey Smith. Isaiah Williams, uh, you know, it, it, he thought he'd be committing here, but just that you mentioned Marquez Beeson. I mean, to get two guys like that after f- five and nineteen after two years, that's just not something that you would expect to see. 
despite Illinois being in, in so good with Isaiah Williams. And now Marquez Beeson might be one of the best recruiters I've ever seen on Twitter. Um, what does this mean for this recruiting class going forward? Yeah, as I, as I wrote yesterday, you get one recruit, and it's still a bit tenuous. Like, you're not sure, you know, if that recruit changes his mind. And, and, you know, as a sophomore in high school, Beeson had committed to Nebraska and then decommitted a month later. So, you know, it, you have the idea that, okay, this is starting great, but it could change tomorrow with a decommitment and we're back to square one. When you add two, suddenly it's a whole game changer. Well, now you got to start thinking, are Williams' teammates going to join him? You know, what about Cooper, the four-star linebacker? Mm-hmm. You know, and then you look at all these other, uh, you know, higher-end recruits that Illinois has been in, Jason Barge in moments, and, 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 you know, the Sorrells kid from Florida. Kids, you thought there was really no chance. You know, they're probably a little out of your league, and maybe Barge goes to Michigan State, and, and Sorrells is headed to, you know, Florida State or something like that. And now you think – Gosh, you started with two top 100 kids. Can they use that as a selling point and get these other four-star kids really interested? So, yeah, I mean, anything is possible now. Well, you know, I, I, the first thing I would throw at you is is that getting we've already gotten a couple players from the same schools that the two players that you just mentioned. Now, Avery is a big pickup from from Texas, a huge pickup. I think that he'll probably play this year as a freshman, even though they've got a lot of defensive linemen returning. And I, I just think that maybe you you started a kind of a path there that it's already there before these two new recruits signed or committed. Yeah, I think we've seen that from Lovey, too, that he likes recruiting teammates. Like, he likes getting into certain high schools. You know, there's there's two kids from from Cardinal Gibbons in Florida in this last class, and there's, you know, all these kids mm-hmm. from Bishop Dunn in Dallas and you know, you're seeing it across other recruiting classes where he's he's chased multiple kids. And, you know, if you look at the Sorrells kid, he's from Bobby Roundtree's high school in Largo, Florida. So, um, you know, I think that's part of – well, it's what Lovey said when he was hired of how he envisioned recruiting was building relationships and building trust and having high schools and, and parents trust him to say, I know how to get your kid to the NFL. Uh, and at places like like Bishop Dunn and, and Cardinal Gibbons, that's you know where these where these things are happening. What uh, what are your uh, thoughts about the team this year and how the actual performance on the field can affect recruiting as you go along? Because we've got a long time to December, and there's going to be 12 games we know of in between that that could have an impact on how players feel. You're right. I mean, look at the 2009 season. Um, you know, Ron Zook had started that 2010 recruiting class very well. And fall of 2009, he had C.J. Fedorowicz, a four-star tight end on, on board. And he had Corey Cooper, the kid who ended up flipping to Nebraska. You know, all those kids. I think there were seven decommitments after that 3-9 and nine season in 2009. Uh, Andy Gallick went to Boston College. Daniel Easterly went to Missouri. So, you know that was setting up to be a pretty good recruiting class in 2010. Then they go three and nine, seven kids jump out of the class and, and it's all over. So yes, I think improvement on the field has to be seen this fall. I think with the schedule and other things, you will see more wins. You'll see some big 10 momentum. I don't think you see a lot of wins, but I think, I think you'll see a better season. 
Who's going to be the starting quarterback, ultimately? You know, I still think it's Cam Thomas. Okay. Um, uh, you know, he's got the head start here in, in the spring. Um, <laughs> I don't know if if the, the fifth-year kid, the uh, A.J. Bush, can, can really run this offense. I'm, I'm not sure yet. I'll need to see him at training camp. Um, I think Thomas has the wheels to, to run this offense. And he showed a few things with his arm last year. So, um, you know, all the excitement over Isaiah Williams and, and you know, the there was some buzz around landing fifth-year quarterback from uh, from Virginia Tech. But I still think uh, I still think Cam Thomas showed enough last year that he's going to continue to make some noise. Robert Rosenthal joining us on Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Well, Robert, because of Cam's inexperience, only played in four games last year, that obviously could impact wins. And, you know, I mentioned earlier in the show that it'd be great to get to six wins for the recruiting class perspective. I think if they can go five and seven and they're competitive, unlike this past season, uh, that would also be okay and not be a negative impact on the recruiting class. But because of the uncertainty of what Cam Thomas could do over this length of the season, it's the most important position on the field uh, beyond the offense and defensive lines. Um, is that a lot of weight on a guy who's only played four games? I think so, but if this new offense is what I think it is, and I'm going by, you know, we, we don't know what spin Rod Smith's going to put on it. That's his own. You know, we're, we're going by the Rich Rodriguez offense last year, so we can't say that Rod Smith is going to do those exact same things. It's the, the offense he knows. It's the base he's going to run, but he may try a few twists of his own. But if it is that Arizona offense, um, you know, I was looking up the, the – the stats for Khalil Tate yesterday, uh, Arizona's quarterback last year, I think he was first team all conference and, you know, had a, had a really great season. You know, he only attempted like 15.8 pass attempts per game or something like that. Um, he nearly had as many rushing yards as he has passing yards. It is a run first with your quarterback offense. Um, maybe more than what we saw with juice and Mike Loxley more than we saw any of the years of Nathan Shieldhouse. Like this is a almost wildcat like offense uh, for the quarterback. So um, I think you're going to see as they get to learn it, if the offensive line can block it, um, I think you're going to see the guy with the best feet win the job and he won't have to do that much with his arm. I'm not saying it's a Navy like triple option kind of a thing. But, I mean, if you look at, at the, the run plays versus pass plays of Arizona last year, they heavily, heavily ran the ball with their quarterback. So um, I, I think that's going to be what determines this, um, not so much, you know, who's the best passer and, and can he get the ball to Smalling and Dudek. I think that becomes secondary and it gets really way more run heavy than even the last two years were. Well, if that's the case, uh, Illinois has got a guy coming from Peoria that can out, can run with anybody. I mean, yeah. I mean, and I don't know if he can learn the offense quick enough. I mean, that's really asking a lot to come in here and start as a freshman. You know that. I mean, Shieldhouse set yep. out a year, and then we saw a really good redshirt freshman. But to start as a freshman right out of high school, man, that's murder. Yeah, and that's why I say like I expect a, a leap from Cam Thomas. Because you're right, when Juice played as a true freshman in 06, I mean, I remember the Rutgers game, 
Like it was completely and totally overwhelming for him. And then the next year as a true sophomore, he was so much better. And you're right. Redshirting Nathan Shieldhouse in 2009 and then starting as a redshirt freshman at first Missouri game in 2010. Uh, it was like, wow, who is this kid? And he made that one third down throw to Mikel LaShore. And it was, you know, he was a, he was a playmaker immediately. So yes, first year head is usually spinning. Second year you settle down, whether you're redshirting or whether you don't. And that's why I'm kind of thinking, you know, you might see a bit of a, of a leap from, from Cam Thomas. Let's go to the phones here. Jim and Rockford got a question for Robert. Yeah, I was curious why you had to change your heart uh, regarding the recruiting. I know a few weeks ago you were more that we weren't going to be getting any star kids, and all of a sudden we are. Uh, you, you talk, is that for me or is that for Lord? It's, it's for is that for is that for Robert, Jim? Yeah, it's for Robert. Uh, yes. Well, my stance was that I wasn't a fan of the Patterson hire. Um, the uh, at, I think it was the last time I was on. Yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah, we talked about that with you. Yep. That we we talked about that. I, I'm. I would be a fan of getting in good with high school programs and keeping that coach there so that Illinois can recruit the program for five, seven, nine years. You know, if you were to hire the coach from Bishop Dunn in Texas, then you've kind of cut off, you you get access to those kids, but you've cut off the long term. So I, A, I didn't think Patterson could pull someone like Isaiah Williams immediately to Illinois. And B, I wanted the, you know, the Missouri East St. Louis kind of relationship where it's 20 recruits over 15 years that uh, you've developed a good relationship and you trust the kids and everything else. So, um, so yeah, I, I am happy to be proven wrong that, uh, <laughs> that Corey Patterson arrives on campus mid uh, January and by mid March, somehow he has landed, uh, you know, a, a five-star recruit. You know, I thought maybe Illinois would get the, the three-star kids, maybe the lower kids with less offers, but these kids that had Alabama and Ohio State and Florida State would would eventually head there, and I am and that's been beyond ha- pleased that I was wrong. That's happened and for year after year. I mean, we were naturally conditioned for that. Jim, yep. I mean, I don't and, think anybody uh, knew what was going to happen there, although uh, Lovey may have known. Maybe Corey told him that they were really close, had always been close, and that he could bring – Patterson in it was worth a gamble in my view because what what they were doing otherwise wasn't necessarily working. You st- you Anything st- else, Jim? Yes, Jim. Uh, Jim left us, but uh, yeah, I would say that. Uh, and Robert, I'm, I'm telling you this that it's and Lauren just said it. Like it was time to try something completely different. But at the perspective you just gave, um, that you know, Corey, his relationships with these guys only goes so far back, and eventually he doesn't have relationships with the kid that might be in the sixth or seventh grade, for instance, I'm just grabbing a random year. And, mm-hmm. and so then you don't have the relationship down there, but the hope is, I think that, and, and Lovey mentioned this, that, well, you know, Corey has relationships with other coaches down there. He, he's want to mention that. Um, he's, mm-hmm. so he's got the relationships with the other coaches down there. He's got the relationship with the head coach of Trinity now, and maybe that's the way they do go about it because Corey has the relationships and they just got to hope that he keeps those. Yeah, I think that's the. I mean, he, he's he's got a relationship with Carl Reed, who's at, at Luther North, um, who has a lot of. I think he's got three recruits in, in this class. Um, 
Yeah, beyond that, that's that's the trick. So, you know, Trinity hired a former Missouri player as their new head coach. Mm. So as we go three, four, five years down the road here, and if Trinity continues to gather a lot of the talent from St. Louis, are those kids still connected to Patterson, or is their high school coach going to encourage them to go to where he played in college? That's the kind of dynamic I'm talking about. But Lauren, as you said, like, you know, the history here shows that when these kids who have those Alabama offers that have, you know, the whole SEC, the whole Big 12, Texas, Oklahoma, everything, like Isaiah Williams did, you know, the typical scenario is they they consider the local school, but everybody around them and them know that they want to play at the highest level and get prepped for the NFL. So, you know, we have this long history of, you know, we have relationships with high school coaches and we're getting in good and we're close, but Illinois just doesn't land the kid because at the end of the day, it's let's go for the top end program. Robert, the, uh, is it is it unusual or uh, normal for so many top players in the St. Louis area to be concentrated in these few parochial schools? It seems to me um, like they're really con- all the talent is concentrated in just a few schools. Then that is correct. Um, I could talk about this for a long time, being a St. Louis guy. Um, so I had a son who played JFL football, junior football league. You know, fifth graders, third graders, seventh graders, that kind of football. Um, about ten years ago, the city really got organized with their junior football leagues. Um, they, you know. A lot of times, JFL football like that is, is organizational-based. Can you get the kids? Is it, is it close? Are there practice fields? Um, <clears throat> the, the teams from the suburbs started playing teams from the city and getting destroyed because these programs, of which Corey Patterson was a part, really built monster junior football league programs. As a result of that, St. Louis is a heavily, heavily private school area. Um, a lot of kids, you know, high, high percentages go to private schools. And as a result of that, I guess we shouldn't say that these kids were specifically recruited because that is against the MSHAA guidelines. But uh, let's just say that they were they found places to go at parochial schools. So um, so, yes, I think it's an organizational thing that the junior football leagues really got organized well. And these kids like you see in Texas, like you see in Florida have been playing in a really good organization through, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. And then they move on to, you know, a, a organized program like some of these, like a CBC, like Trinity has built up to that type of thing. So, so yeah, St. Louis, because of the heaviness of so many parochial schools um, has, has kind of developed that kind of system where a lot of these kids are concentrated at just a few high schools. Well, Robert, uh, we're short on time, but uh, so we'll see what happens uh, at the momentum and the buzz, which, you know, I've not been around this as long as you have and many others, and but just the buzz I've been seeing on social media and the recruiting job Marquez Beeson has been doing, it's making it interesting at the very least uh, what it does for the 2019 class. We won't find out for, for several months, but uh, it's exciting nonetheless. Uh, I'll get you out of here with this. Uh, Bruce Weber, is he going back to the Final Four? <laughs> Putting you on the spot here. Do I have to answer that? You don't. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't make you do anything. <laughs> um, I, I, I'll say this. I, 
I fear that he is. <laughs> I would like to see the Ramblers get there. <laughs> that would be a great story um, so, if Loyola made it. That would be a fantastic story. Yeah. I, I have written several articles over the last six years that I just wanted Bruce Weber to stop talking about his time at Illinois <laughs> because he'll get in front of boosters in the summer at Kansas and say, I had the best record in Illinois history, and they fired me and all this stuff, which, as an Illinois fan, has always bothered me to say that's not true. So being the guy I am, I always get online, and I get on my blog, and I'm like, here are the three best coaches in Illinois. Here's statistically the best nine-year era, you know. So it's always bothered me that he has tried to paint his time at Illinois better than it was. Well, Paul, wait a minute. Paul Klee came up with the best line when he was on right before you, uh, Robert. He said, what do you think Bruce is thinking? You know what he's thinking? And this is exactly right. I told you so. Yes. Yes. (laughs) This is the world. If he makes the final four, when he gets in one of those Kansas boosters this summer, (laughs) there will be so many (laughs) statements of why did they fire me at Illinois? Why did they fire me at Illinois? I just want him to keep our name out of his mouth. That's all I care about. So so because of that, and so that I don't have to write that blog post this summer, uh, I I would prefer a Loyola victory. I'll say that. <laughs> we'll see what happens, Robert. Maybe I'll text you later if it goes the other way, and I'll check in to see how you're doing if Loyola <laughs> loses. Yeah, I do need people to check in on me if that scenario were to happen. All right, have yeah. a great weekend. Enjoy the tournament, and uh, let's let's watch this uh, recruiting class go. It's exciting right now, at least. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks. Thanks. Robert Rosenthal of Illini Board. Give him a follow on Twitter, at Illini. Uh, really studies the roster and recruiting really well. Got a text on the Castle Heating Cooling text line. asking about the one-and-a-half stars he gave Bennett Williams. Robert talks a lot, but he's wrong a lot. Patterson will do well in St. Louis for years. That, that's an opinion. We'll see. He's from there, has deep ties all over. Yes, he does have deep ties all over, but we'll see how it goes. But nobody had Bennett Williams highly ranked. Like, no one. Like, he was like, Illinois got a steal on that one. He looked great as a true freshman. Uh, so that's not like Robert was alone in the rating of Bennett Williams. I don't know what his exact star was. We could look it up, but it doesn't really matter. But he had a great freshman season. Well, we'll come back, uh, maybe get you the bonus that Bruce Weber has gotten to this point and what he could get if he makes the Final Four. That's coming up next. we read a few more of your text as well. Stay with us here on Saturday Sports Talk on DWS. Just always been from his days at Southern, from Illinois to here, just phenomenal uh, team defense. Um, they're physical. Um, they don't make it easy. They make it hard. So ton of respect for what he's done at, at every stop of his, of his journey. You know, you look at them, great togetherness. Uh, Porter's done a great job with them. They guard. They scheme. Uh, they, they play off each other. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a tough game. Welcome back to Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Michael Kaiser, Lauren Tate with you. Porter Moser and Bruce Weber tonight for the right to go to the Final Four. We'll see who wins that game and advances out of the South bracket down in Atlanta. Could play the will play the winner of Florida State and Michigan. We'll see what happens there on the other game tonight. Of okay, course. now hang on. Yeah, hang on before we run out of time. Mm-hmm. Georgi, say after me. Georgi. Bez Hanishvili. That's I pretty think. good. That's pretty close, I think. That's his name. He's going to be in tomorrow yep. as, a, as a visitor. He's a 6'10 basketball player out of New Jersey, out of Russia. That is Georgia, not local, not Georgia in this country. It's Georgia yeah. and Russia. Georgi Bez Hanishvili. That's what I'm going to say. 
I don't okay. know what I don't know where the emphasis is. I have not heard anybody say it. I asked somebody who covers recruiting, and he didn't know either. But he's supposed to be here tomorrow through Tuesday. And he's supposed to commit. Yep. We'll have to see what happens. I mi- and see if he does it while he's here. I mean, I mentioned before the break, um, and I mentioned this before the break. Bruce Weber's bonus for reaching the Elite Eight oh four hundred and thirty thousand dollars. If he wins tonight, it increases to five hundred and sixteen thousand. And six hundred and eighty-eight thousand. Half a million. If, if they win at all, he's on track to collect a five hundred dollar, five hundred dollar, five hundred thousand dollar retention bonus at the conclusion of next season. This is a guy who carried his lamp from room to room. He was so poor when he started coaching. This is a guy, and <laughs> I love uh, it. this is a guy, and he's I, self-made. He still uses uh, coupons, and I, I, I he's still he's just. Coup- and he's, he spent 50 years as an assistant, didn't he? Yeah, he spent a long time as an assistant, and, and that kind of How lead. can he be a good coach when he spent all those years as an assistant? Yeah, it's been, he was an assistant for Gene Keddy and learned a lot. Got a couple emails and texts. We're going to run just a little bit long today, but not too much longer. Just want to get a couple emails and texts. You guys sent the time to send that stuff in. Uh, an email uh, from Kevin. Is it just me, or does everyone think that the vast majority of the CBS, TNT, TBS announcers are just not very good? Maybe they're just so unfamiliar to me, but I think the stable of announcers at ESPN and even and BTN are so much better than this group. And to think the amount of money CBS has invested in the tournament, you would think they could do so much better. Well, here's what you run into. Uh, you know, I haven't been listening to the broadcasters closely. I've seen a lot of complaints. Uh, thanks, Kevin, for the email. It's what you run into is you get some of these NBA guys like Chris Weber and Reggie Miller who aren't watching college basketball, basketball exclusively throughout the year. They, they reference BTN. Those guys watch the Big Ten all year long. They know it inside and out. So I Big think that's, Ten guys are pretty good. Yeah, and that's what you run into is they, they're not watching college basketball only. They're, they're dabbling in the NBA. They're dabbling in college a little bit because they have to do the tournament. And I think so then you lose some of the expertise and the knowledge. But I still like uh, Reggie Miller's announcer. I've watched him do a lot of NBA games. And I think I've heard good things about Chris Weber. I thought he break, broke some things down good the other night. Uh, so I don't, I don't have a problem with that. You just there's so many games, and with the deal with all the networks now, you're just going to run into some guys who may not have as, as much knowledge as fans would like when they're watching a game. Uh, but you expect your announcers to still study and do all the research. But even when if they do that, they're still going to be hard. You to know, it takes a lot of work to keep up on what's going on in college basketball with all the transfers mm-hmm. and all the moves and all the one and dones. And I mean, it's just impossible. It, when it used to be. That you ha- <laughs> and I'm going back in time here. It used to be you, when you saw guys come in as freshmen, you learned who they were. You maybe you knew about them in high school. Then they played as a sophomore. Then they're t- they're a couple more. You know the teams all over the conference. You'd know everybody. Now uh, Nebraska had a nice team this year, 13 and five in the league. Four of their top six scorers were transfers. Yep. And how many of those guys will be back next year? I don't know. That's that's I that's mean, really they may be gone to somewhere else. And transfers don't always work out. Exhibit A, Illinois. Transfers don't always work out. Uh, Castle Heating and Cooling text line, 217-Texter. Coaches weren't wrong. They knew what they had. Uh, Robert says he's an expert at talent evaluation. Obviously, he's not. That's why you take the ratings with a grain of salt. Very few are good at it. Now, obviously, the coaches did know. And it's it's all the recruiting experts that watched it. He was was someone that was off the radar. Um, And so, yeah, the coaches are the talent evaluators, the real ones, because they are coaches. But the recruiting experts – 
didn't have this guy highly recruited. And who? Who, who is or that? Bennett Williams. Still talking about. Oh, Bennett Williams. Okay. Yeah, still talking about Bennett okay. Williams. And the two one seven texter and no Illini fan uh, that watched the Weber years are missing him. I, I listen, guys. Uh, we've been talking throughout this throughout the week. He's a good fit for him at KSU, but we've got the better coach. The texter goes on to say, like it's okay to say that Bruce's time at Illinois was over. It had needed to end. Uh, from what went on that season, they went I think two and twelve down the stretch. Uh, the recruiting class wasn't looking too good coming in. He, I don't want to say he lost the team because that's so easy to say, but uh, they just didn't weren't playing well. But it's also okay to be very happy for him at, at Kansas State, uh, as I am. Uh, Robert obviously is not, but uh, he has good. Listen, Bruce is still probably upset about being fired, and so he's going to say things that uh, may upset some people. But uh, it's good for Bruce, and, and and we'll see what happens. The six one eight texter says Illinois rebuilds take three times longer than at other Power Five schools, and uh, I, I, we'll see uh, what Brad Underwood does here. I'm assuming they're referencing basketball, maybe football, but. Uh, football rebuilds take a long time when you're starting at the at the bottom, and and so we'll have we'll have to see uh, how long the football rebuild takes, and and as far as basketball, we'll see who Brad brings in. I, you know, I, you know, it's, that's going to be the unknown, and fans are going to have to be uh, patient if they're going to want uh, if if they want to win in uh, here at Illinois because it's just it's not going to be overnight. I don't know how uh, Iowa's going to work work out in this offense. We'll have to see. Uh, he's got to get healthy because uh, I don't think he was healthy. He had a great state championship game, but I just don't think he's fully healthy yet. Uh, 618 area code texter also says Kansas used the cheatingest coach in history, Larry Brown, to catapult their program. Self has pushed him to the top. They weren't near the top from World War II until 1988. A lot of cheating goes on across uh, college basketball, and so that's not uh, it's not alone at Kansas. Well, I wanted to mention a, a couple of things uh, before we before we got out of here today. Uh, softball and baseball, both uh, a lot of Olympic sport programs are, are on a roll here at Illinois. Um, but softball and baseball, 12-2 and two in their last 14 games. Can you believe Spillane started off the game against Northwestern with another home run? I, I mean, is this a video game with him? I mean, he's, he's playing a video game right now. the next three times up? Walked him. He walked him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he's, I bet him leadoff. Yeah, yeah, he's just <laughs> Might as well. He can't, he can't, he's not going to get a swing with any runners on base. No, he? he's not. And the men's golf team, uh, 15th in the country at the Bighorn Invitational out in California, 20 under par. I didn't check the score leaderboard, but they started a little bit ago. 20 under par to lead the tournament after two rounds of play. It's a four-stroke lead over Mississippi State. Uh, so it's a, it's a good tournament, start to that tournament uh, for Illinois. Well, Lauren, uh, anything else you'd like to throw out there, uh, at least where the, the Cardinals rotation isn't dealing with the San Francisco Giants right now? Two pitchers going down with injury of Bumgarner and uh, Samarja's opening day Thursday. Yeah. Everyone plays. I understand, but I'm right now. I'm consumed. Right now, I'm consumed with Loyola against Kansas. That's they, all that I game care about. Just captivates me. It, it, you know, it, I, it should have been an NIT game. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It would have been if uh, for Loyola at least. If Loyola had not made uh, won, won the NBC tournament, they, I don't know if they would have been in the mid majors. We don't know. Yeah, it's hard they to tell. Let Middle Tennessee in, did they? No, they didn't. Well, thanks to our guests today, Brad Evans, Paul Klee, and Robert Rosenthal. Thanks for your phone calls and your text. Most of all, thanks for listening. Illinois baseball coming up at 2 o'clock against Northwestern today.